0: everyone welcome to episode 22 of anatomy of tone this week we're going to dig into the effectrode phasomatic tube phaser pedal i'm going to talk about some of the compositions and cues that i wrote for this episode as well as discuss my point of view on some ethics on gigs and recording sessions when dealing with artists musicians or just other people that you're doing business with I offer lessons for guitar, drums, bass, music theory, composition, recording engineering. So if you're looking to get deeper into any of those areas, reach out to me. I'd be glad to discuss your goals and your needs. You can find me at anatomyofguitartone.com. And if you're really digging this podcast, it would really help me if you leave me five stars or a review online. It just makes this podcast more visible to others. Okay, let's get into it. Wanna we'll touch on ethics and what I mean by ethics is mostly behavior on sessions, gigs, rehearsals in regards to other musicians or engineers, producers, artists, and how to understand your role and where the parameters are for that. It gets a little tricky because it's never really cut and dry or there's no manual on this, but there are a few unspoken rules for this or ways not to ruffle feathers or rub people the wrong way. So I'm just going to use myself as a session musician as an example. So if I'm showing up as a guitar player at somebody's studio, uh, when it comes to dealing with the engineers there, I'm probably not gonna give much feedback on how my amplifier is being miked or the choice of microphone, choice of compressors that you're there using. I'm there to play my guitar part. I'm going to get my sounds through the amp and through the pedals. If they ask me, it isn't quite sounding right. Do you have any suggestions that you like with this amp? Then I'm going to jump in and say, sure, here's what I would try. But most of the times they have a method and the way that they like to record things and the sound in their mind. So I don't need to clutter the room with information that they don't want and they're not asking for. So unless I'm being asked for something of that nature, then I don't offer it. The same thing goes with the artist sometimes when it comes to other production or when it comes to uh, the songwriting aspect of it. Like I may be hearing things that I think could be better or improved in some ways, but I don't offer that unless I'm being asked because it's not my job. I'm being brought in to play guitar and to ornament the song, to find ways to flatter it and elevate the production. So my job is to come up with guitar lines and make sure that my guitar sounds and my playing is to the level that they're happy with, which means usually means doing it fast, right? Getting great sounds, grabbing ideas fast, getting them down and saving them money if I can get in and out fast, that's generally what makes them happy. So it's a lot about execution. The same thing goes as an engineer. If you're an engineer on a session, your job is to watch levels, Make sure you're getting the right sounds, check for phase cancellation, It's project management, setting markers, and just all the above, punch in points. You're really like an engineer on the job. Your job is to really maintain, listen for, for overloads or any kind of digital clipping or digital errors. That's your job. If an engineer on a session starts... I know making suggestions about parts or arrangements, or even sometimes what is a better take or not a better take, this can start to rub people the wrong way. It could rub musicians the wrong way. It can rub artists the wrong way. Sometimes if it's not rubbing the artist the wrong way, what happens is it creates a too many cooks in the kitchen scenario, which you don't want on a session most of the time, unless, It's set up to be that way unless the uh, engineer is also going to act as a producer. But that's something that should be clearly made known to everybody when they show up to the session. Like, hey, this is the engineer and producer and this is the artist and we're working together on this. If your sole role is to be an engineer, you commenting on maybe production techniques or arrangements or performances from the musicians or artists are there uh, is a little out of line. I don't mean to sound like somebody who's yelling to kids to get off the the grass, you know, it's not really about that, but there is like a level of respect that needs to be maintained in the studio for everybody to be able to perform their task the best that it can. I know that as a uh, arranger, as a producer myself, I have a certain method for when I go in the studio and I'm tracking musicians to get the best out of them. And for me, sometimes that is easing people into an arrangement and letting them play through things several times, get comfortable, let it be a little shaky, listen back to it, not really make that many comments at all about things being not perfect or whatever. And as people get it under their fingers and comfortable with it, then I could start to, to point out some, some key factors. If I'm trying to, to proceed that way as a producer or arranger or conductor on a session and somebody else is popping in over the cans, giving other directions, it's sort of undermining my direction and my plan for how to execute the session. And, And I've had this happen. And every time it's happened, it's always made the session worse because I've gone into some of these sessions knowing how I'm going to approach and get the best out of the musicians and some people don't have the best techniques for that and so it can frustrate musicians throw the vibe off create a little bit of a hostile environment uh, a little bit of resentment among the other musicians or Rangers or conductors or uh, whoever else artist is on the session uh, I think we think it's important even the same goes for rehearsals like there's times when I'm on rehearsals where I'm not going to suggest something to the bass player unless I'm being asked even if I know it might be better it's just it's not my role and unless they're asking me for it it's it's kind of their role to figure that out or to communicate with the artist to what they want i've been in situations where everybody is giving opinions about everybody's parts and it's just complete chaos and it never ends up with a great final product and so that's why usually there's a producer on a session the producer is usually the person that is the the liaison for the artist to communicate with everybody to get the desired Product, right? To get the end result that they want that maybe they can't communicate. It's the artist's job to make sure that those roles are clearly defined. Your job as an engineer on this session, your job as a producer on this session, your job as a session musician, and to be able to make sure that everybody feels comfortable in their role. So if an artist is not setting those boundaries, then you're going to see more and more of the people are going to push those borders and they're going to push their weight around. Uh, And this could just complicate things. I've, I've had sessions like this. I had a session recently where I walked away feeling very frustrated because my flow uh, got ruined because of, um, you know, engineer that was maybe being uh, a little too, um, uh, forward with, uh, their opinions. So not that opinions are bad, and I don't want to silence anybody's opinions, but there's just a time and a place for them and an order for them to ensue that everybody walks away feeling good about the work they did or knowing what their role was. I just want to throw that out there because I've seen this go sour and ruin relationships on many occasions where the lines weren't clear. So you have to have clear lines, whether you're on a gig, a rehearsal, or a session, you know what your task is, your job is, and... Proceed cautiously with how you step over those borders to communicate with people. Maybe consider that somebody does know what they're doing, but they have a process in order to get there. And what happens sometimes is when people start butting in is they're intruding with the other person's process to get to the end result. And you can't just say it's about saving time because sometimes doesn't save time at all. In fact, it adds time because that person has a process and it may look like it's taking a lot of time, but before you know it, they have it turned around because they have a system for it. And if you're interrupting with it, you really could kind of blow that flow. So it's something to think about when dealing with people and just to maintain a healthy relationship. I know it's a complicated relationships that I've had in the past and where I've wanted to step away and have even stepped away from projects because of the lack of clarity of roles within a project. I'm going to play a cue. I have been experimenting with Dorico and considering switching from Sibelius because it just seems like there are issues within Sibelius that they will never fix. And some of them are being very problematic for my work right now. One of them being the inability to really play back an MP3 or anything along with an arrangement you're working on. The other is... Every once in a while it crashes on me or it sounds like Sibelius has a temper tantrum and it hits all the keys on the piano and uh, stops playback but when it does that it uh, takes a note and it moves it uh, by a half step or sometimes even more and that's really frustrating because then i have to play where's waldo and find the note so it's that and many other things the lack of being able to use it more like a daw and use different uh, virtual instruments and plugins and dorico allows me to use vsd plugins and vsd instruments and i can tap into my uad plugins and i can actually get the uh, the mock-ups to sound a lot closer. Mixed without having to pull them into Luna and do additional work. So there are a lot of advances to Dorico. Now I have tried it before and it hasn't settled with me and I'm hoping this time it does. And I've been using it for a couple of days and now it seems to be really connecting with me. So I feel like this time it it might work and it feels like Dorico has more of a future in it where uh, Sibelius feels stuck in the water in so many ways and it's only ever going to get so much better. This is a cue I wrote in the Serialist style. It's 12 tone row that I proceeded to use in canon like form. They weren't complete exact uh, replications in the canons. I used different rows and sometimes I did inversions or I did. Uh, retrograde and I used a sequential circuits profit 10 and I I did individual performances because I wanted them to be unique and individual each three lines their expressions and performances I did some processing after it was recorded I ended up running it through a PSP 42 which is like their lexicon uh, PCM 42 delay which is fantastic and then I ended up putting a filter on the whole mix and adjusting the filter I found that when I was trying to troubleshoot some uh, some EQ issues in the whole mix I was sweeping the EQs and I really liked what it was doing to the sound so I ended up putting a filter on it and affecting the whole mix that way it's very spooky maybe Halloween-y uh, alien type vibe to it which we get from the 12 tone system which I like a lot for horror and sci-fi So you get the vibe this is not knot of, um, of earth in some ways or what we associate as being normal a matrix calculator that I found online which allows you to fill in the notes that you want to use and then does the whole 12 tone matrix for you and then I opened up Dorico and started composing Canon's in Dorico and referring back to the, the matrix so I can see what notes I had available to use and once I had it done in Dorico I did a pdf and then i just played it in using the analog uh, profit 10. let's listen to a counterpoint example i did using the stock sounds in Dorco, which i think sounds so much better than sibelius Talk about the Effectrode Phasomatic tube phaser pedal now. This is a really interesting phaser pedal and unlike what you would normally think of a phaser pedal particularly most people are used to phase sounding like a phase 90 or a small stone from electro and those are phasers but this is a very different variety of phase pedal. It has a lot more similarity to the vibrato effects you would get from the old magnetone amps or the harmonic tremolo of Fender amps which is really hard to get. I know some pedals have tried to emulate this without tubes but it just doesn't sound right and there's just something missing uh, you know if you plug into one of those old magnetone amps there's just a, a, a lushness and, and a beauty to the way that the vibrato circuits work on them and you can get those sounds with the phasomatic which is really exciting and not something I think a lot of people would initially associate with a phaser pedal. And what's cool about the phasomatic is it does go further than just recreating those magnetone sounds now I just would have been happy with that in itself because I've been searching for that sound a long time but you could do really self oscillation like uh, sci-fi sounds, stuff that gets you into like the sound design work like the BBC radiophonic workshop and daily Derbyshire and there's some really cool experimental things you could do with this and also just swishy wider interesting and even like I would say uh, almost like warped vinyl, Type sounds out of this pedal, which you can't get out of a Phase 90 or a Small Stone Phaser. So I really think you're gonna dig this. So I'm gonna run through some just the basic sounds I got up front with using instruments, and then later on in the podcast, I'm gonna do like the the longer section where I use a synthesizer in like a drone mode and I play with all the you know, knobs and the switches on it, so we can hear really how much the uh, the variations affect the sound this is a true tube pedal it runs at amp plate voltage there's lots of headroom but you get all this beautiful harmonic richness that you get from tube circuitry there's a beautiful subtlety that exists in the effectrode pedals that i truly appreciate i think phil taylor is really thought out like how to present these sounds they're not over the top when you first get the pedals. This is true with the Delta Tram, it's true with the Phasomatic, it's true with the Tube Drive, I feel too, that it, they could, they could be very subtle and you can really just bask in the beauty of, of how the subtle changes of the tone can really, um, I don't know, just uh, flavor your sound. Uh, and this is true with the phase too. It's, it's not the type of pedal that you kick on and it just like punches you in the gut with over the top effect. And this is sometimes what my issue is with some phaser pedals. Like a lot of times the phase 90 is, um, just too much for me or the phase 100 is just too rich and I really like that although the phasematic doesn't really do that sound initially when I got the pedal and plugged it in the effects were much more subtle I could hear the way that the tube circuitry was affecting the harmonic overtones of my guitar signal or bass or synth and also I can uh, just get it tapped into my sound where it wasn't overbearing which is where i'm often most happy with a lot of my modulation effects now there are some features or i should say adjustments on the inside of the pedal that allow you to tweak the circuit a little bit and if you want to get a little thicker more pronounced effect you can do that and there's a, a, and also um uh, an adjustment to the inside for the feedback that you can even get it to self oscillate even harder and more weird, which is great. And there's also an option to take off a coupler inside to have further control of the way the pedal is phasing. You can find this all in the manual, which is available on effectro.com. And all the specs are there, plus the manual, which gives you tips on how to operate it. First things first, let's just jump into some sound. I'm going to start with a guitar, I'm going to go to bass, I'm going to Mellotron, and then we're going to end with synth, which is going to have a lot of long drones on it and me playing with a lot of the parameters. I'm going to use Gibson ES-335 into the Phasematic, and then I'm going to run into a pedal from Solo Dallas called the Schaefer Replica, and this is the Storm model. Uh, this is based on the 1970s or 80s early Schaefer wireless units, which have a very particular sound to them and many artists used during that time period and became a crucial part of their sound. And now it's back, but in a pedal format, which is really amazing. That's going into a Marshall Plexi. And then I'm running into my audio interface now. The Marshall is running through 4x12 greenback cabs. Let's just hear, I have the set up into like a sort of a notch filter vibe and it's not just a straight notch filter but it's got a little bit I just I don't know that nasally kind of um, filtered sound to it so next example it's almost sounds like a broken warbly almost vinyl vibrato effect that I really like this is using the same signal chain I'm going to play some chords down near first and third position. I mean, open voicings a lot, chunkier, thick kind of sound. This is more of almost a traditional phasing sound. <laughs> to explore a little more of that notch filtery type sound so i put on the neck pickup position on the sg and i played on basically the low E, A, and D strings because i also found that that was matching the notch filtery sound in a very specific way and i like that as opposed to using a different position where maybe i was using some unwound strings to play those same notes so this the wound strings were interacting with phasematic in a way that i like I'm gonna move some bar chords around with the high E and B strings open and have the phasematic set on a pretty subtle phasing effect just to give it some movement. arpeggiated pattern with a very warbly vinyl or almost like a really baked tape sound how about a minor pentatonic riff on the low three strings pretty strong. For this next example I have the A string droning and I'm playing some chords um, superimposed on top of that up around the 12th fret to just create a little bit of a contrast and the phasomatic set pretty strong on this. <laughs> Leslie type effect. I really like the subtle vibrato effect that the phasomatic can impart on your sound. So for this example, I mainly played the G string open and played moving sort of Celtic or major pentatonic melody lines against it. And just really liked how subtle it was. You really hear the dryness of the signal, but occasionally like you hear this warble and just like bumps the sound and makes it sound a little, um, I don't know, a little uh, mournful most I would say. switch amps, I'm going to run my 1964 Guild Starfire 3 with the and Humbuckers. First year they made the DeArmond Humbuckers. I'm going to run that into the Effectrode Phasematic, and that's going to go into Headstrong Little King reverb with a 1x12. What's going on in this example is basically, if we follow the chord movement, I'm moving the root notes in fifths relationships. So I start out in A minor, so it's A, D, G, C, F. Now, F would be the fifth of B flat. But before I went to B flat, I actually played the flat five substitution of F, which would be B. And I also played that as a sharp 11. So B sharp 11 down to B flat. So sharp 11 in B is an E-sharp, which means F, which is also the fifth of the B-flat chord, so there's a common tone there. Then I just used a two-five-one one back to A minor, but I used a um, the 2 being a minor 7-flat-5 to the 5 being a flat 9 to the 1 being a minor chord.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How about a surf example using more of the magnetone style vibrato? in reverb on the headstrong Low king for that example as is this next following example so i'm going to move to the neck pickup on the guild starfire 3 and i'm going to do a improvised um, maybe more atonal avant-garde piece and how i come up with this is i found just a motive that you'll hear me start playing at the top and I'm moving that motif around, almost like sequencing it sometimes in, in sections. And so it's built on an idea, although it's an improvisation. It's an idea I came up in that moment. But I heard it and then I, I put it in my brain. I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be sort of my theme that I'm going to move around. And I was playing a lot of random notes as I was imagining or hearing them. And just maybe as I'd play them, I'd think about where I want them to resolve. Because every time you have a tension, it wants to resolve in a direction, right? Often it's just a fret away, either a fret higher or a fret lower. So I would introduce a dissonant note and then I would listen to it and decide of all the notes that were ringing, which one of those dissonant notes could resolve somewhere and lead me to the next note. And that was part of the way I was approaching this, uh, even though like some of the the phrases and the, the pitch decisions were initially random. After I hit them, I did try to have some sort of mindfulness about where to take them next or how to resolve them before i moved on what the phasomatic sounds like on bass. I never really thought of using vibrato on bass until my friend Adam Minkoff started using vibrato on gigs on bass. And I was just like, that's such a cool sound. I really liked it. And so I stole this from him but I'm using the Phasomatic for this example with a P bass, flat wound strings. And this first example is finger style. I'm running through an Ampeg V78 bass amp. It's a vintage one. And that runs into my UA aux and I'm switching cabinets using the uh, Ampete uh, amp switcher, the 88S. Now I'm going to use the same bass, but I'm going to use a pick and I'm going to apply the pick a little bit closer up towards the neck as opposed to being closer to the bridge. I also wanted to grab a version using more of a modern bass with active pickups. So this is a Warwick FMR with uh, round, round strings. and It's a five string. Apply the Effectrode Phasomatic to one of the Optigon samples that are on my Mellotron M4000D Mini. Going to run the mellotron with the classic three violins sound which is one of the most famous string sounds from the mellotron i'm going to run that into the Phasomatic from effectro and that is going to go into a surfy bear metal true analog spring reverb I'm going to move it to the low string sound on the Mellotron and play it an octave lower so we can hear how the phase sounds different at different octaves. So it's the same exact settings on the phasematic. Sounds a little spooky to my ear with the phasematic on with the Mellotron. I mean, the Mellotron is super vibey and retro on its own, but the phasematic adding a little of that movement to it just makes it feel just ever so slightly more uneasy in a way. Um, in that example, well, both of those examples. I was doing this uh, chromatic bass movement that was used a lot by Bach in the Baroque period, which I've really been experimenting a lot with my counterpoint and stuff, which is basically if he used chromaticism, it was mostly relating to secondary dominance. So it wasn't random chromaticism. An example, the key of the song was an E minor. So I moved the bass note down to D sharp. E flat, but I'm going to think of it as D sharp because we're going to think of secondary dominance. So I'm trying to think, what is that D sharp? What chord could that be part of to be a five chord of something? And I know that D sharp could be part of a B7 chord, which is a five chord of E. And I can get to E by moving that D sharp down to D, our next bass note. And that D is the seventh of an E7 chord. So it would be like a third inversion or, or four, two, if we're talking about figured bass of the um, E7 chord. And in this time period, they're very rarely played dominant seven chords in root position. And I've really been getting into this uh, uh, four, two or, or third inversion dominant chords lately, because now I'm kind of really into that sound and my ears are really getting used to it. And I just keep moving them down this way, C sharp. I can think, oh, well, that's uh, that's uh, that could be the third of an A7 chord. Um, and that's gonna take us down to C when that C is gonna be a third inversion of a D7 chord, right? And I just kind of climbing down the, the chords there, which is our, a move we've heard all a ton through classical music, but it's it's neat when you figure it out and you get it under your fingers and you can start using little bits and pieces that in, in your compositions. This next example, I use the Mellotron on a flute sample with the effectroid phasematic on. And I was playing with the pitch knob on the Mellotron M4000D Mini. I really like playing with both the tone knob and the pitch knob on here. Kind of got this like theremin, almost a Blade Runner-esque type sound by just messing with it. The, the Mellotron, the fact that it had the phasomatic on it was running into the surfy bear, created like this perfect storm of, of interesting like interaction. For this last Mellotron example, I had it on a sax setting, one of the sax sounds that were loaded into the original Mellotron card. And I put it on the slow speed, which basically makes the tapes play at half the speed. I really love to do this with many of the Mellotron sounds, but especially the saxophone. We did this a bunch on Abby Ahmed's record, one of the songs, Say You Believe. I did it on and it just created this so interesting, like ethereal type moody effect. I also had the of on it. And what I did is I basically just created a modal chord. Uh, I just started stacking notes and I let the, the notes run out because on the Mellotron, the digital Mellotron, like the original Mellotron, they were tape and what it'll do is it'll stop once the tape ran out. And that's what happened when you played the original Mellotron. When the note was over, you'd have to let go of the key and let the tape rewind before you could press it again. And they kept that in the uh, new Mellotron. Marcus designed that as part of the, the sound because it, it is how the instrument responds so you'll hear the notes uh, fade out one by one is such a moody lovely tone now that you're all relaxed I'm going to take it to the other end and get a little weird so the Phasomatic can actually self-oscillate and get a lot of the cool 1950s sci-fi sounds. It's actually how they originally got those sounds. And I would encourage you to go to the Effectrode website, effectrode.com, and read up a little bit more on Phil Taylor, because he has done some amazing things with actually the BBC to recreate some of the original circuits that B.B. and Lewis Barron created for the sound, like the, the soundtrack Forbidden Planet or some of those original analog circuits to to create what we now associate a lot with like vintage sci-fi films. And I think part of his mindset behind this pedal, I, I, I didn't ask him, but I imagine would have to do with his knowledge and, and love for that era of technology and, and sound. So let's listen to some UFO sounds. I'm going to put some spring reverb on this. I'm going to use the analog Demeter Reverbulator Spring Reverb. Seems like a great transition into our final section of the podcast where I'm going to use synthesizers, uh, a lot of it on a drone note, to then experiment with a lot of the knobs and switches on the Phasomatic to hear how it's impacting just a note, a long note, as opposed to a short, attacky note. I'm going to play with the Phasomatic along with an analog. Sequential Circuits Profit 10 synthesizer. I'm gonna set it on a drone at first, cause I feel like with these long sustained notes, it's the best way to hear how the shape and the width and the speed and the blend knob works, as well as the switches in the back, which are set for color and normal skewed or scattered. I'm gonna turn it on. Right now I have the shape at like five o'clock, and the width at like eleven, the speed at like one, and the we'll blend about halfway up. I'm going to play with each of these knobs independently so we can hear what's happening here. I'm going to turn the shape knob all the way to the left, I'm gonna incrementally turn it to the right until it changes. Turn more right till it changes. There's quite a variety of shapes there to choose from. We really get to hear those. We emphasize when we're running a really long, sustained uh, sound through it. I'm going to play it with the width knob now so you can hear how this affects. I'm leaving the blend knob uh, middle, by the way. And the color switch is in the middle. I'm going to have the... I think it's on normal mode for the other dip switch. So let's start play with the the width, turn it all the way left, so all the way left it's super slow at this rate it would take a really long time for it to go through all of its phases which is really great if you're doing like a really long ambient piece where you want to take a really long time for it to go through its phases. Turning it up a little
1: bit here. am slowly
0: turning the width up now until we start to hear it. So we definitely hear some subtle movement in there off in and I'm just continually turning it up It's fully up We have a lot of colors just using the width knob The blend knob now. Blend all the way off. new All the way upwards, just the wet signal. Really get to hear how the phase works against the dry signal when the blend is like in round between 11 and 1 to 2. I'm just gonna turn some knobs here and see what we got. Actually, let's put it back. And we're gonna play with some of the dip switches now. I just adjusted the color to its middle position. Oh, here's the top position.
1: Now I'm playing with the width.
0: I'm gonna move the color switch to the middle where it was. Color switch all the way down. Back to the middle, now I'm going to play with the move it from normal to skewed. Turning up the width knob. I'm actually moving the shape knob right now, and it acts differently depending on where you have. You have it on scattered or skewed, or normal. Let's just adjust the color switch here.
1: wow 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 wow
0: I slowed down the speed. Cranked up the width.
1: I'm
0: gonna change to the normal position. This is on scattered now. changing the color switch. Wow,
1: wow, 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 wow.
0: I'm playing with the shape switch now. It's not really like any traditional phaser you're used to using, it definitely is quite different than the Phase 90s, so it makes it a really unique and interesting pedal to conjure sounds out of. Okay, right now I'm running the Effectrode Phasematic. Along with the ASM HydroSynth and the Sequential Circuits Profit 10. So have this routed is, I'm just using the ASM HydroSynth to send arpeggiation information, MIDI note information, to the Profit. But what's happening is I'm running a CV out the gate from the HydroSynth into the CV uh, in one on the Phasomatic, and this is causing some really cool phase effects because I have the arpeggiation set into like this random mode and so it's arpeggiating these notes and as it speeds up or glitches it's actually triggering the phaser to act in a similar way that it's sending the the repeated note information to the arpeggiator. I could change chords and...
2: I'm going
0: to play with some knobs now. Fun about this pedal is you can really just play with the switches and the knobs until you get something that's really exciting. What happens if I drop this down an octave or two and I get something happening? past the pedal this is the sound coming from the profit you open the filter up a little bit turn the pedal back on just turn the blend all the way up
1: even an octave lower. That's a cool
0: setting right there. I have the shape all the way to the left. The width is about two o'clock. Speed is at nine o'clock and the blend is all the way up. I have the color switch all the way down. And I'm in skewed mode. Takes me a second there. My eyes are bad, I can't really see. Some of the print on here. That's a cool sound. If I compress that and put a little saturation on it, that would sound awesome. Let's add some movement into it. You can hear it's without it. Now this is just accepting the CV gate so the phaser is acting in, in a really cool way. Let's see if I'm changing the speed on the arpeggiator here. filter on the profit
3: 10.
0: Okay. Now I'm affecting the phasematic by the pitch of the synthesizer using the um, CV out and, and in of the hydrosynth into the CV in of the phasematic. And you're going to notice that the higher up I play pitches, the faster the phase is going to move and the lower down on the keyboard. I play the slower it's going to move. So a high note. lower note. Getting some movements and sound really lovely with some reverb on it. off some bass notes here. Take a little more into the sci-fi realms. A really dark, kind of menacing low tone. I'm using the Prophet 10. I'm going into the Phasomatic, and I'm going into a Seeker Electric Effects tone bender, and then I'm going into my interface. So check this out. <laughs> Here's something really cool if I hit the tap tempo button as I'm playing a note, it really creates a cool effect. Now it's still running through the signal chain. I should have mentioned I'm also running into the Chase Bliss CXM 1978, which is like the late 70s Lexicon 224 reverb or the 80s. Check this out. So I'm creating that pulse. Otherwise, it would just sound like this. So I'm I'm, I'm tapping on the tap tempo button to get different results out of it. hope you enjoyed nerding out on what is really an exceptional nuanced uh, explorative pedal from Effectrode called the Phasomatic and you could check them out at effectrode.com if you have any questions feel free to reach out to me at anatomyofguitartone.com as i mentioned earlier i'm available for lessons and consultations or just want to chat and talk about gear or composition send me a message